Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows that we do at the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. We literally could not do this without our patron help. And if you're not already, you can become a Major Spoilers member and patron by signing up at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Thank you so much in advance. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, Hawkman... Peacemaker, Three Jokers, Space Travel, Ludacrosity, The Weed of Crime, and Its Bitter Fruit. It's a Major Spoilers 894th episode extravaganza, packed with everything you'll need for the week in pop culture, delivered in that trademark Major Spoilers manner. We're all about the Benjamins, the base, and possibly Eve, but best of all, we're sugar-frosted, chocolate-coated, and we're on the air. Welcome to issue 894 of the Major Spoilers podcast, The Shadow This Week, also... A little hidden uh, little treat, uh, because we've been on a big Cullen Bunn kick this year. Oh, guess who wrote The Shadow this week? We'll find out uh... how it stands up against some of his other spooky tales later in the show. But first, here is the news. Hot off the rumor mill, hot off the rumor mill, the movie trades are still claiming that Aldous Hodge of the Invisible Man fame is in talks to join Black Adam cast as the superhero Hawkman. Now, listen, if this rumor is true, Hodge will join Dwayne The Rock Johnson, or Thayrock Johnson, who's playing Black Adam and Noah Centineo as Adam Smatcher. And if this really is a Black Adam versus the JSA tale, look for potential casting announcements for Dr. Fate, Cyclone, Sandman, and more. Black Adam is currently scheduled to arrive. On December 21st, 2021. I freaking love Aldous Hodge. He is so good. He's so talented. He started my favorite short trek, which is the Calypso. Mm. Uh, truly, Black Adam is a movie that I don't really know how Black Adam could carry a movie. And these rumors, even though they're still only rumors like that Tom Hardy might be playing Bond, uh, this gives me hope. For the future. Yeah, and that he's playing Hawkman as, and playing Hawkman as well yeah. is also a very interesting switch that you know we haven't seen in the past. Why not? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's why I think we don't always have to have white man Bond. I agree. Where is Idris Elba's Asian in this conversation? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so uh, Disney is already spinning up more. Uh, shows for its Disney Plus streaming service. The latest announcement has Samuel L. Jackson reprising his role as Nick Fury. Uh, 
while we don't know what the show will be about, the big question is, will this be Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Nick's, Nick Fury, Agent of S.W.O.R.D.? Honestly, personally, I'm hoping that it's like, uh, uh, what is it, Young Indiana Jones oh, type yeah. situation, yeah. where Nick Fury is just telling, where uh, Samuel L. Jackson is just telling you stories, and a like uh, the kid who plays uh, Patriot in Marvel Rising is actually like a baby Nick Fury. Mm, okay. <laughs> That'd, That'd be, be interesting. Cool. I know the last time we saw Nick Fury, he was aboard the spaceship. That's why I was wondering, maybe Agent of Sword, maybe that's what uh, Adventures he'll go on, but uh, yeah. we'll wait. This is going to be a long time before this comes out. So in further uh, Marvel movie news, we promise that this is like totally the last time that movies are ever going to get moved into oh. different theaters at different times because people can't <laughs> wear their GD masks. I, like I promise, last time. You're never going to hear this again. But Disney did just announce that it is moving three of its Marvel movies to 2021 and surprised no one, which means that Black Widow is being pushed back from this November to next May 7th, 2021, which is like basically when it was supposed to come out this year. But one year later, The Eternals, which was scheduled for February 12th, 2021, has been pushed back to November 5th, 2021. And Shang-Chi, the one that I'm super excited about. Uh, just began shooting because they're shooting in Canada and Australia and places like that. So they're just going back a couple months from May 7th to July 9th, 2021. So those are the Marvel moves at this point. And we promise they absolutely won't ask again. This is the last time. Don't worry. Black Widow's definitely coming out and hasn't been in the can for over a year at this point. Yeah, I, again, I, I, I don't know why people thought that this holiday season was going to be the year that the movie theaters came back. I mean, Steven Spielberg's uh, West Side Story is also getting a bump. Uh, so many others are getting a bump. I think yeah, mainly, but it's also mainly because because that lead said some unfortunate things on oh, yeah, the internet. Really? Okay. Uh, also, West Side Story <laughs> by Steven Spielberg. I just don't see it. But also, um, I think Tenet didn't do as well as everyone had hoped. And no. that's why they're just like, oh, no, we need to push this back until we can get a 100 percent theater package. And I'm I'm wondering if November 6th is even going to is even going to be or I'm sorry, May 7th is going to be a, a, a date that people can can bank on. I don't know. I, I, don't, I if I were a betting uh, last, which I'm definitely not, I wouldn't bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Comic-y, booky news, sort of, kind of, even before The Suicide Squad arrives in the theaters, HBO Max has approved a Peacemaker spinoff series starring John Cena. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that amazing, awesome uh, theme music. James Gunn, who's written and directed The Suicide Squad movie, is also tasked with writing the television series, going to be directing multiple episodes. Uh, Peacemaker is a Charlton, was a Charlton comics character, debuting back in 66. Pat Boyette and Joe Gill created him before being acquired by DC. He is a man who loves peace so much that he's willing to fight for it, to do anything, including wearing a hat full of explosives, because why not? I've seen we've seen the trailer for the Suicide Squad and we have seen that one image of uh, Cena standing in front of a blue screen. I think he looks really mm -hmm. cool as the part. I think the helmet isn't as crazy as the original uh, Charlton uh, incarnation of it. But I'm kind of looking forward to both the Suicide Squad movie and this HBO Max series when it launches. It looks really great. And for once, you know, you've got a guy who can actually pull off the physique. So, yeah. 
Listeners, you can join the conversation about these stories and more over in our Discord. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free. There's a link in the show notes or link your Patreon account to Discord and get access to even more features at patreon.com slash major spoilers. One of the benefits that you get uh, by becoming a patron at the silver level is you get access to the Major Spoilers pre-show. This week we talked about Ashley's anger issues, Steven's anger issues. We talked about, uh, what else did we talk about? Oh, we talked about adult films and renting them back in the day. Awesome all that plus plus giant max all over in the major spoilers podcast free show all right let us get to some reviews we got a lot of them uh this week uh why don't we start with one that just came out a, a couple of days ago this is hbo max uh it's the vow uh ashley what's going on with the vow heck yeah it is almost october which means it's basically halloween which means it's time to get scary and you know what's scarier than like anything that uh uh, I, he and Peel could throw at us. Sorry, I couldn't pull Jordan Peel's name for a minute there. <laughs> uh, it's real life, baby. Did you like Smallville? Well, I'm going to ruin Chloe for you by recommending that you check out HBO's The Vow. I talked a lot about some of the true crime that HBO Max has been putting out in the past. I really loved I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and The Vow is basically their true crime offering post that. It uh, follows the journey of several former members of a cult called Nexium. You may have heard of Nexium because it is the evil assaulty one that Chloe from Smallville was a leader of, Mm -hmm. uh, that they branded people. And uh, Sarah Edmondson, who stars in this, tells her story. And she was the woman who is, uh, was photographed with her brand that went all over the world and basically uncovered uh, what this was all about and brought it to light. Uh, it also features uh, Bonnie, I believe it's P.S., it might be Peace, who you may know as being young hot Aunt Beru from the Star Wars uh, prequel trilogies. <laughs> and so there's uh, nine episodes together. The six episodes, Honesty and Disclosure, just came out. And I really want to recommend this episode above all the other ones, even though you sort of need the five leading up to it, because this is where everything is starting to both tie together and unravel at the same time a lot of people have been telling their story and this is where their breaking point comes and this is where they understand the level of malevolence and manipulation that their leader keith rainier has been visiting upon them and it shows you just how hard it is to leave situations like that because if you are someone like me who enjoys true crime or you enjoy stuff that reflects that. I think a lot of times we have like these superiority complexes of like, I would never, how could you ever, I'm so much smarter than that. And all of the people featured in this documentary are incredibly intelligent. Mark Vicente made a documentary that is one of the highest grossing documentaries of all time. We have several successful actors who were all tied up in this weird sexual cult. And it's so, I don't know if it's great marketing or like very strange marketing that it's coming out around spooky season, because this is scarier to me uh, than anything that you could recommend me on the fiction side, but it is so well executed. And I think in part because there are so many wonderful storytellers involved in the making of it and who had firsthand access to this weird MLM based out of Albany, which at first just kind of seems like, uh, oh, this is like yoga and team leadership and then devolves into like swearing yourself to someone for the rest of your life. It's just so eerie. It's so creepy. We got the best episode so far. So if true crime is your jam, 
or if you said, I've had a lot of Doom Patrol, I'd like to see something even weirder than that, I definitely recommend The Vow, specifically episode six, Honesty and Disclosure. I started watching the first episode, then it was late at night, so I only got halfway through it. It does seem very interesting in how they're presenting the story. I just haven't had a chance to get back to it because now I'm binging the Harley Quinn stuff. Uh, but, the, the first uh, episode is also very dry because they yeah. go out of their way to be like, this is the structure. Like, this is what it all pretends to be from the outside. And then the creepy stuff happens in episodes like three and four and five. And like, now I'm so far down the rabbit hole on it uh, that I can't believe I ever thought that the first episode was kind of slow. So are they able to do any interviews with Allison Mack? Does she come on at all and, and talk? No. Probably she's because in prison. of, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's what about, her name. Thank you, Allison What about Allison the Mack. other? What about the other Kristen Crook, who was also part of that thing for a hot second? Uh, no, she's not actually. If so, if you do some side googling, a lot of CW ladies were a part of this. Oh yeah, yeah, that's some Arrowverse people. Um, yeah. but because of the way it functioned, and because of new media, and because of the internet, there is a ton of video of these people. Um, that were sort of used for the program that were internal videos that some of the people who've stepped away obviously had access to. So mm -hmm. Allison Mack does not appear as like a featured talking head, like someone who was part of the document, but she is all over it. Oh, yeah. She was like a lieutenant or something, right? She was like second in command or something, yeah, uh, according to the reports. Yeah, she led the women's group that yeah. was, you know, basically assaulting and using people mm -hmm, in a mm -hmm. form of slavery. Yeah, like she was, but like she is featured, but not because she was interviewed, but she, yeah. you see a lot of her in this. It's, you know, and Chloe's a character that a lot of people very much advocated for like being included in the comics. And mm -hmm. I know that like a men of a certain generation and and women, of course, um, she, she, she was like a big figure that a lot of people had a crush on. So like, it's really sort of upsetting that uh, she wound up doing what she did, but just the amount of, the amount of lady superheroes that you will see in the background or in these meetings is very strange. Cause you're like, Oh, there's Anne Baru. Oh, there's Kristen Kirk. Oh, there's, um, my God, what's her name? One of the ladies from arrow I know was, uh, Oh yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't it the, the, um, uh, watchtower lady. Um, it's 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 whoever plays Laurel Lance, Katie Cassidy, yeah. oh, okay, uh, okay. and not everyone was involved for like a long time. Yeah, either, some people like got in and figured out what it was, and they got it got right back. Very out. much, yeah. but it's strange to be like, wow, they had like the Vancouver young actor stayed on wow. lockdown. I saw something. While. They were doing a bit or something. I think it was this morning on CBS Morning News. Mm -hmm. um, it was just like a promo bit, and so I was turning the TV off. And as they were running this, but someone was interviewing a bunch of people who were members of Nexium. And the woman says, how many of you think that you were in a cult? And of the six people, not a single one of them raises their hand. And then the yeah. woman asks, how many of you think that uh, Keith Rainier is, uh, this is all trumped up and made up stuff and he's actually innocent and all of them raise their hands. And it was like, oh yeah, that's how you can tell you're in a cult. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the words of my favorite murder, you're in a cult, call your dad. Yeah. 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 All <laughs> right. Thank you for that, Ashley. I think maybe I will get back. And watch that eventually. Then one of the nice things about HBO Max is it's on demand. You can catch it anytime. Let me know your thoughts when you do. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely will. Uh, this week, coming out today from DC Comics, it's Batman Three Jokers number two. I really didn't want to read this one. Um, I was going to do uh, Stranger Things, <laughs> but I, you know, I had to request it. And then they didn't send it to me until like 20 minutes before it was time to record this show. So I didn't have time to read the Stranger Things. But I did read Batman Three Jokers from Jeff Johns and Jason Fabok. This basically picks right back up after uh, the Red Hood has killed one of the Jokers and uh, she, Batgirl, has to go to Batman and explain everything. And there's uh, things like Joe Hiller being involved. They know that there are multiple Jokers. 
Uh, they realize, uh, you know, that that something weird is going on. There's some scary like zombie Joker people that are running around that uh, had me have uh, flashes of the cult. Speaking of the cult um, from uh, from back in the 80s. Uh, there's also this weird kind of storyline bit where the two remaining Jokers are basically trying to recruit Red Hood to become the next Joker for them to replace the other Joker that was killed. And so that's really weird. It's also kind of fascinating because it goes into parts of the story get into why Batman uh, reached out to, to Barbara after she was shot, after the killing joke by that particular Joker and helped her become the strong woman that she eventually, you know, becomes. How did she work through everything and get to be Batgirl again? And there's a big conversation about, you know, why did you not do the same thing for Jason Todd when he came back? And it was, it's kind of a fascinating discussion. I'm not sure that all of the arguments play out as well as I think Jeff Johns was hoping. Uh, and maybe that's part of, you know, Batman's uh, failings with Jason Todd. I mean, there's many failings with Jason Todd, including Jason Todd. Um, this is pretty brutal. Uh, you know, Jason Todd gets another uh, uh, crowbar to the head uh, in this one. Um, you do get to know, learn a little bit more about the Jokers. You get to know a little bit uh, or at least introduce the mystery of why Joe Hill is part of this big story. It's done in a nine panel format pretty much throughout the entire book. So if that's something that is your jam, there's also that. I think the art is really interesting and very fascinating. I think Jason Fabok does a great job of differentiating all of the, the Jokers. You instantly know by looking which Joker is the newest one, which was the original Joker, etc. So I like a lot of the art in here. The story just wasn't particularly interesting to me. That being said, I think that there's a lot of people who are just going to be like, oh man, this is the greatest Batman story ever told since the cult back in 1988 or 89, whenever that's, that book came out. Uh, so for that reason, I'm going to give it four out of five slices of meatloaf. I could pass on it. I think there's some interesting discussion on it, but I think there's a lot of people who are really going to dig it. I will say, I do not think that this is a $6.99 book. And, ah, uh, man, unless you're really dying to read this, you might want to wait till this comes out in a trade paperback or wait until it goes into a cheaper bin. Because $6.99 in this day and age of comic books, you can, you can spend your money on, on better things. This is just a way overpriced comic for what it is. Uh, or but, dare I say, try the digital version? Uh, digital version is also $6.99. Oh, really? Yeah, unless you Jeff wait John. six months. Unless you wait six months, and then the price will drop. There is a dollar. Yeah, and then it'll drop by a dollar or two. Here's the fascinating thing, and this is something we didn't talk about in the news segment, but um, Comixology and Archie made an announcement this week that the, or it was last week, sorry, that all of the Archie books are now going yeah. day and date on the Comixology Unlimited service. So instead of waiting six months for the stuff to appear on your subscription service uh, Comixology thing, whatever you're paying for that, 20 bucks or whatever it is a month, 10 bucks, um, you get access to all those Archie comics same day as everyone in the bookstores. I haven't seen any major blow-ups from brick and mortars, but I'm sure that's going to happen. But I hope that this is the first, the first indication that we're going to see DC and Marvel and all these other guys say, heck yeah, let's just put all of our stuff right there on the Comixology Unlimited or the DC Universe um, uh, Infinite or the Marvel Unlimited service so that people can read Batman the Three Jokers day and date that it comes out as part of their subscription service. I think we're oh, moving... Can I, can I also yeah, tack on that Comixology um, now has hardware and they're going to have a bunch of milestone stuff coming out over mm -hmm. the next couple weeks. Yep. And if people have been excited when we have talked about milestone or they want more milestone in the future... 
Uh, please buy these books as soon as they come out because that is what tells uh, Comixology and DC and Warner Brothers that you want more in this universe and you want more of these characters. Yep, this story is actually going to go up on the Major Spoilers website uh, on Wednesday because I didn't get it to it today. But uh, those uh, books are going to be Hardware, The Man and the Machine, uh, Icon, A Hero's Welcome, Icon Volume 2, The Mothership Connection. Those are the three trades that are going up uh, right away as part of that. So I would yeah. definitely get your hands on that if you're into the milestone. So there you go. Uh, let's see. Matthew, The Ludocrats. Oh, my gosh. Is this the final issue of this series or not? Uh, this comes out on Wednesday, September 30th. What's, this is what's the going final on the... issue of Ludocrats. How many naked people are running around? Series. <laughs> There is one naked peoples, but it's the same person who's been naked throughout the whole thing. Uh, it, <laughs> it's okay. You know, if I really want to see a chunky bearded man naked, I have mirrors. But here's the deal. Okay, are you ready? Ludocrats is about people who believe that you have to be silly and ludicrous and over the top or else the universe is meaningless. So at the end of last issue, we discovered that our main character, whose name escapes me, is actually being betrayed by his own friends. And his girlfriend is now the judge, and he is on trial for being a bad ludocrat. And his first argument is, you might say I'm a criminal, but isn't it criminal to say that? No. No, it's not. <laughs> and it gets even more ridiculous, because at one point during the trial, the actual testimony says his fingerprints were all over it, whatever it was, and they're on there, and... It's completely unsanitary, but that's totally proof. At one point, Jamie McKelvey shows up and says that his ex-collaborator has no, in, no permission to use him in the issue, so his lawyer will be calling. But as we find out, we found out last issue, that the interdimensional hyperpope is actually his twin brother. And the interdimensional hyperpope wants to destroy the ludocrats and everything fun by homogenizing reality. And he makes the argument that, isn't that the most ludicrous thing of all? And everyone agrees. So they let him do it. And the book turns into a standard 1987 slice of life indie comic where the main character is sitting in a coffee shop and talking about how he's just waiting for his life to begin. And for like six pages, this goes on. And it's really well drawn. It's really funny. I mean, it's, it's not quite parodic. It's literally... A, you know, I realize that life is a journey that everyone must over undertake. You must see that there's nothing there and become hardened to reality. And then, of course, Otto busts through screaming, boring, and the book ends. But as it ends, we see the closing credits, as we do every issue, and Otto is still fighting. And then we have the back matter, which is showing off, you know, alternate covers and things. And the story is still going on. And the main character is still trying to escape throughout all of this text stuff in the back. And the inside of the back cover, he finally decides that he's going to bust through out into reality because the ludocracy cannot be contained. When we reviewed issue one, Stephen and I both had the same response to this. Uh, mine was, oh my God, this is so weird and over the top. And Stephen was like, oh, my God, this is so weird and over the top. And his response was, I don't like this. Yeah, and my response I was, I might like this a lot. I still can't tell you if I like it a lot. But I can tell you that as an end to this narrative, the name fits. It is ludicrous on purpose. 
And it's one of those stories that breaks not only the rules of storytelling, but also it breaks through into the metatextual, which if you don't like, you definitely want to stay away from. If you don't like stories where the structure of the comic book actually becomes part of the tale being told, probably stay away from this. I enjoyed it. Three and a half slices of meatloaf for Ludocrats number five. I'll tell you, I don't know if there's going to be a Ludocrats 2. Because I feel like I'm the target audience for this. And I'm like, yeah, I liked this. And then sometimes I was like, what? So if the target audience is like, what? Maybe not. I don't know. It was fun. It's a book. It has happened. It ended as it began with 32 pages of a half-naked fat guy running around. And I feel like that's at least something. Definitely sounds like it. All right, Rodrigo, you're going to wrap things up for us this week with a Dark Horse comic that comes out next week. Next week. Next week. On Dark Horse Comics. Next week on Dark Horse Comics, it's the Orville. You guys remember the Orville? Yeah. I love the Orville. Yeah, Orville is good times. Um, For anybody who doesn't know, it's um, Seth MacFarlane, the... A guy behind uh, Family Guy and American Dad and weirdly Cosmos, um, <laughs> uh, pretending pretending like he's doing a parody of Star Trek while really just doing Star Trek, basically straight with some jokes thrown in. It's like a slightly funnier version of pretty much exactly Star Trek, um, and I, that's not a criticism. It's actually nice that everybody like looked at each other and said we're gonna let him get away with this and so we've actually gotten some pretty okay some very controversial and some so-so star trek stories out of the orville um there's been a few uh, comic issues um and i'm reviewing the orville number two i think this is like volume two it's like one it's a two-parter um and this is the end so uh, the uh, this takes place sort of after the Orville has started brokering a peace with the Krill, uh, which is a alien species name that I love, but unfortunately they don't look like little shrimps. They look like alien lizard guys. Um, but um, they are they have detected this like giant weapon out by this planet so they've gone down to the planet to figure out what's going on as it turns out it's not really a weapon it's just meant to basically shunt the entire solar system into another dimension because their um their the leadership the planet's leadership uh maintains control of their populace through extreme xenophobia basically they're always telling them that all their problems are because of alien invaders um, quote-unquote invaders, and that they are the only ones that can fix this and the only ones that can keep them safe. Um, if you are starting to feel like that's really on the nose, you should know now that at some point, actually at several points, the characters literally say it's like they're trying to build a wall around their system. It's like <laughs> some sort of wall that their leadership says that is going to keep them safe, but it won't, Right. So take that as you will. I wasn't too offended by it. Um, it's really the more, I guess, the more offensive aspect 
of it is that they feel compelled to tell you what the um what they're getting at but i'm okay with it you know it's like not everybody who is picking this up is going to know um exactly that you know it's it's sort of the intent of the writer to 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 get you to that point um it has an interesting ending where it turns out that the that the system that shifts itself into another dimension to avoid an alien invasion kind of ends up uh, having exactly what they didn't want to happen, which is weird. Like, I'm over here sitting, thinking, like, if, book, if you're, if you're doing what you say you're doing, isn't it weird that then you're like, and then the thing that they were afraid of actually happens? Like, isn't the whole point that it wouldn't happen because it's just their leader's propaganda to maintain control of a scared and vulnerable population, as opposed to this actually potentially being something that actually it's like I feel like they got two outer limits with it. Like okay. they really wanted to hoist them by their own petard so hard that um it uh kind of ended up undermining what it was trying to say. I'm gonna give it three slices of meatloaf. Uh the art is good, but runs into that thing with uh where art is trying to make the characters look like real people. All of the characters in this look exactly like their TV show counterparts. You can open it up and be like, there's Wonder Woman, and there's Stewie Griffin, and there's... Um, the kid from the toy. The kid from the toy. Uh, so, uh, yeah, 3,000 meatloaf, better than average, looks good. I, again, sort of photorealistic, um, or, or something that's trying to go for... The, that realism of, of seeing a, a, an actual actor tends to come across as stiff because you need to maintain their proportions. And even though I don't feel like the art was particularly stiff, I just kind of, from shot to shot, I'm like, this looks like a portrait rather than necessarily, you know, action happening in a comic. Um, because, you know, a lot of the time, even a static shot, as we might see with our uh, incoming uh, trade paperback, um, can be a very dynamic panel. Not so here. There's a lot of sort of like, this really feels like an episode of the Orville. And sometimes I was like, please comic book, do comic booky things since you have the opportunity, mm. as opposed to feeling like this was actually shot by a camera on a pedestal, mm. right? Um, well, so anyway, I was going to ask you if meatloaf. that was, yeah, I was going to ask you if that was a good thing or a bad thing, because I think you would kind of want your your comics to feel a little bit like the TV show, but it sounds uh, like they're doing more like, of Let's make this exactly like the TV show and not the uh, gold yes. key Star Trek comics from back in the day. This this whole comic is just so to me just so straight down the middle like because it's like I like what you're saying but you kind of went a little too like you kind of undermined yourself with the ending. It's like mm. I like that I can recognize all the characters but this feels like it's not a comic like it's actually the show and comics have an ability to do other things. For example, the 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 aliens 
that they go see are just look like humans, but their faces are blue and they have like little like uh like fishy fin ears. And you're like, I can see that just being makeup on the Orville, right? right. On the actual TV show. And it's like this was an opportunity to do something weirder and they just don't. Mm. No, that's too bad. Also I think you meant hoist by your own Picard, by the way. Oh boo. Oh yeah, sorry. Boo. Boo. All right, thank you for that, uh, Ashley, Rodrigo, and Matthew. And dear listener, if you're looking for even more reviews, make sure you head over to the Majorspoilers.com website where we got new reviews coming up for you every single day of the week, and including the Random Access Memory uh, article from our good friend Rand, part of Ookla the Mock. This uh, month, he's, of course, looking back at 40 years of September comics, and uh, it's got some really interesting reflections, uh, starting with 1980 with Marvel Team-Up number 100. And uh, going all the way, I think, I don't know if he has any 2000s in here, but I know he goes all the way up into uh, 2015. And the list of comics that he reads as the years get, get on is uh, quite impressive. So go check that out over at Majorspoilers.com. Another thing to check out as the weather starts to get, uh, get a little bit colder, I've got a question for you guys. Mm -hmm. So today it was when I got up at uh, 5 o'clock, because I was going to go walk at 5. I looked at the I looked at the temperature and it's like 33 degrees, and I was like, nope. And I went back to bed until uh, after I took the kids to school and then walked when it was 36 degrees, so a little bit warmer. But this afternoon it was only 81 degrees, and I was still wearing just shorts and a t-shirt, and my youngest was wearing shorts and a t-shirt or no pants. He's not a short wearer. But we picked him up from school when it's 81 degrees, and we were both thinking, man, it is incredibly hot today. Whereas, you know, just two days ago, it was, you know, 80 degrees, and we were just like, oh, it's nice and cool out. And I wonder, it's... is it because we went from 30 degrees to 80 degrees, and the two <laughs> days before, we went from, uh, like, 67 degrees to 80 degrees? And that, that... You're slowly acclimating. Well, no, I wonder if it's because there is such a giant change in the temperature, if it feels like it's warmer. Yeah, it's that time of year, you know, I was like, and... Uh, you know, out in out in the middle of the plains, it's worse because, yeah, it does go from 30 to 80 over the course of a day here. It probably goes from like 40 to like 70 because, mm -hmm. you know, we have bodies of water. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, that's just where you're at. It's like this is that time of year where like you go to work wearing a sweater and on your way back, you're like, why would I ever need to wear this in my life? <laughs> yeah. And you're ready to like <laughs> yeah. throw it out the window. I, I was just curious because I didn't know if it was because it was such an extreme change in temperature during the day that 81 felt like hot, where two days before when it was just, you know, 20, 30 degree change that it didn't feel as bad. But uh, man, I was just like, I I'm sweating to death. And it's and it's a temperature that I have no problem hanging out in. Uh, so it's just really weird. But as Rodrigo pointed out, it's getting colder and sometimes you might wear it want to wear a sweater. The, the fall is in the air. We were noting today that the leaves were starting to change color. And I'm sure up where Rodrigo is, we're starting to get all the color starting to appear. And it's also maybe a little wet where you are. Hopefully it's wet and putting out fires where you are if you're on the West Coast. Uh, maybe it's getting a little chillier. Um, and that means that it's going to be time to have to wear something to keep you warm, to keep you bundled up. When you go outside, you don't want your, your extremities to fall off. You don't want your, your fingers to get, the, uh, to get the, uh, the frostbite when it gets really cold. So now is the perfect time to head over to isotoner.com or totes.com and pick up all the things that you're going to need to wear this fall and winter season. So you can just, you know, put the, 
put the scarf around your mask so you can go out and, and look, uh, you know, look uh, fashionable at the same time. Maybe you've got a new hat you want to put on or some gloves or some cool boots or some socks to put your to put your on your feet so you can put them into the boots. And you can get them all over at isotoner.com or totes.com. And the best thing is when you go to those websites and you use the checkout code MAJOR, M-A-J-O-R, you're going to get 25% off at nice. checkout. That is quite the deal. So it's just like if you, if you wanted to buy, I don't know of anybody who has five people in their immediate family, but if you had five people in your family that you needed to buy for, it's almost like you're buying four items and the fifth one is free because of that 25% off discount you get at checkout. So uh, go over, icetoner.com, totes.com, use the checkout code MAJOR, and save, save, save. Get those stocking stuffers in now. Actually, you probably want to give them to them early so that they can actually wear something when it's cold outside. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about The Shadow, The Last Illusion, from Cullen Bunn and Giovanni Timpano. This is from Dynamite Entertainment. Um, I think this ended up on the list because it was Cullen Bunn. As I mentioned at the start of the show, we've been doing a lot of Cullen Bunn spooky stuff. And I saw Cullen Bunn had done a um, story in the shadow. And I said, well, why don't we throw that? So we get a little bit different take on what uh, Bunn does with, with different, uh, with different uh, properties that aren't his. And so we end up with the shadow. Now, what I find really interesting is, is that uh, the shadow goes up against the Society of United Magicians who are going out and trying to find Houdini's final message and uh, are willing to do anything to discover uh, what is on the other side. And as we discover later throughout the piece, uh, trying to prevent real magic from coming back into the world, because if it does, then that means that uh, all the older things are going to come out as well. So you've got two factions. You've got the Society of United Magicians and I forget what the other one is, what the other group is called. Like yeah. the the followers of... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Sitarak. Uh, Sit, yeah, yeah, something like that. And then you have another guy who's a magician who's called the Sandman, but not the Sandman and not the other Sandman. Uh, but he's yeah. running around through this as well. And uh, the shadow is going in and he knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. And uh, he's, he's fighting this. I find this interesting because this is a tale that is definitely told during the height of what we would consider the, the pulp magazines. Um, I think this is interesting because it comes at that time. And I've talked about this before, um, especially with the HBO series Carnival where Carnival is fascinating because it deals with the oldie tiny pre, um, essentially pre-nuclear bomb, uh, when people still believed in magic and magic was a big thing. And if you read comic books or if you read, you know, the pulps, you've got a lot of magician type people. But then after the nuclear bomb, after you hit the 1945, suddenly everything is science-based and futuristic-based. And so a lot of those magician type people, all of the secret societies, uh, the, the magic, uh, the devil worshipers, all those uh, weird cult things that people talk about suddenly go off into the sunset until they come back in the 80s when, uh, when Reagan decided to make them a big thing. But, yeah. uh, and so I, that's what I find is, is somewhat fascinating in this. Also, I find that, um, that Cullen Bunn is incorporating real-life people into this story. So we've got uh, the Shadow's connection with Harry Houdini, who taught him how to do the, the escape artist stuff. We see Alistair Crowley uh, pop up in this. We see, yeah. um, I forget what the woman's name, who was the um, other person that, that shows up in this. The Society of United Magicians, the name has been changed to protect the, the Society of, I think it's American Magicians, is what the group is called uh, here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And we also get some Lovecraft uh, mentioned because Harry Houdini <coughs> actually did work, with, uh, did work with Lovecraft to create uh, Beneath the Tomb, 
which is a very fascinating and weird look at uh, Egyptian culture and um, magic as um, Harry Houdini saw it and basically had Lovecraft ghostwrite this for him. So some very interesting things that I find in this book. It was it was so crazy to read this book after uh, reading Atomic Robo mm-hmm. because that is still dealing with this like esoterica pseudo order of the golden dawn right, right, right. Uh, pastiche inspiration and so I was like oh this is all the same stuff that I googled last week <laughs> cool and this is I think my first shadow so we, did you do the did you do the dc shadow with us were you here then when we ran through that no, whole thing that where the shadow goes to the future and he's in a robot body i don't think so okay. or if i did i maybe didn't read it that it was it was I say uh, that was even pre-zach i maybe hadn't done my homework no no it, yeah it was probably zach or around zach time maybe a little bit pre-zach but yeah it was definitely one that if that was your first experience to the shadow it might have turned you off of the shadow rodrigo i don't know that was my first experience ah. with the shadow and i love it yeah, I, I, it, so it wasn't my first experience with the shadow. My first experience with the shadow was the Alec Baldwin movie. Oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah, oh, and I and, and also didn't turn me off of the shadow because I was like, I think even as a kid, I was like, you know what? There's something good in here somewhere. I think I'm gonna go find out more about the shadow. And you know, I, I pick up shadow comics every once in a while when they come out, and I think I always want something else from the shadow. Than what, what I ever find in the comics, because I think er, that's true for everybody who writes the shadow. Everybody who writes the shadow is a fan of the shadow, mm-hmm. and they want to give it give it their own spin. So they change up his powers. They like dial up or down like the amount of like psychic or pseudo scientific or magical nonsense that's happening, mm-hmm. depending on on their taste. Mm-hmm. I guess my first encounter with the shadow would have been the original uh, radio dramas. Uh, back when I was a kid, you could go to the, like the Alco and they would have tapes that would have, you know, old time radio shows. And so mm-hmm. I had a couple of Lone Rangers and I had a couple of uh, Sherlock Holmes and Abbott and Costello. And I also had a couple of The Shadow, which was Orson Welles doing the voice of uh, The Shadow with his with his sinister laugh. So um, that's kind of where I uh, saw The Shadow first. And then probably maybe a couple of pulp magazines here and there that I would find in a back issue bin uh, somewhere. And then the movie, and then comic books after that. Um, but none of those things ever really turned me off on the shadow. And I think you're right, Rodrigo, that everyone's going to have what they think is the cool thing about the shadow, and try to incorporate that into your into their stories. Matthew, do you get that same kind of uh, feel when you when you uh, read shadows, or what was your first experience to the shadow? My first experience with the shadow was that Kyle Baker run from '87 oh, or '88. Okay. That was uh, it was the shadow set in modern times. Mm-hmm. And it had the weird thing where Siobhan Khan and the Shadow were both uh, decapitated and their heads attached to robot bodies. But that's the thing about it. I feel like the Shadow is one of those characters who has that elasticity where you can tell a story in the modern day. It may not work as well. I feel like the Shadow works best as a period piece. But Mm -hmm. you can do that. And you you can have that Alec Baldwin movie that was, I mean, as movies go, it was a film. I mean, uh, it's certainly better than the Phantom. I don't know. I feel like they're of, they're of a piece. I feel like they're in yeah, the same yeah. level. The Phantom at least had Patrick McGowan. <laughs> but yeah, for me, the the thing about the Shadow is, in a comic book, you gotta differentiate the Shadow 
from the vigilante archetypes that come from the shadow. You gotta have the yeah. shadow not can't be, be can't Batman. be Batman, can't be yep. uh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's that's the hard part. And I feel like Bun really pulls that off here, partly because of all of the real world moments, all of the Alistair Crowley and his secret Ordo Novus Ordo Seclorum, and the bits with Houdini's wife, and how she honestly believes that Harry is communicating with her from the grave. And then she's right, but the shadow erases it from her memory. And if you know about Bess, she always, I mean, she went to her grave trying to find a way to communicate with Mm -hmm. Harry and prove that there was life beyond. But I like all of that stuff. And yet somehow, in the context of a shadow story, it grounds him to me a little too much. Because a lot of this story has to deal with him all of a sudden being, okay, now he's Lamont. And the ending, that last issue, the ending where he's like, I'm totally Lamont, you guys, and now I'm going to sleep with my girlfriend, Margot. I'm like, wow, that doesn't feel like, to me, the shadow that I've seen. But I also kind of like it. He and Margot were were a thing. Maybe it wasn't as explicit as him crawling into bed with her, but it was, you know, definitely she knew what his deal was and he had a thing going on. So, You know my argument that uh, I feel like Batman should not be a mask or rather the the argument that Bruce Wayne is the mask and Batman is the real yeah, person yeah. and how I don't feel like that's right. I feel like in the case of the shadow, uh, quite literally the shadow is the real character and Lamont Cranston isn't actually his real name. Yes, exactly. But Lamont and that's, Cranston that is, the... is a mask that, that Kent Allard, yes. uh, the shadow takes on, but yes, uh, this story kind of tips that a little bit and I don't hate that. I just, I don't know how, how exactly to process it. I mean, it's a great comic story, but in a lot of ways, it, it, and then of course, for some reason, there's a, a, a guest spot by the creature from the crate from creep show. And I'm just like, yeah, I love, I, I don't know what that is, but I like it. And I'm just like, I don't know. It feels like they so successfully turned the shadow into a comic book series that it almost doesn't feel like the shadow anymore, but yet it's still a really cool story. I think it's an interesting story. I guess I was a little disappointed in this overall. I think that there was some, I felt like there were some convoluted parts trying to explain who this person was and their relationship to this whole big mystery that, uh, that the shadow was trying to solve, that it kind of got lost on itself. I think the other mm-hmm. thing that I didn't, that I was hoping for, and Colin Bunn really is kind of, you know, he, I think he knows the characters well enough. I think he knows the time period well enough. I think he knows his background in spooky magic stuffs uh, well enough that he can mm-hmm. can tell the story. I think the thing that is the biggest hinder in this volume is that he was uh, limited to five issues plus a zero issue, as opposed to let me tell my story the way that I want to tell my story, whether it be a dark horse or image or wherever he, that he's telling his story. And I felt like had this been able to stretch out maybe a little bit longer to maybe seven, eight, 12 issues, I think we might've even gotten a better story out of this than the one we did. Because like Alistair Crowley is like there and gone. And it's like, he probably needed a little bit more space to, for people to recognize that. Uh, the, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cool things about the shadow that we don't even see in this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? It's like you, the shadow is just like, uh, I got, I, I have a lot of agents that are doing stuff, but we only see one. It's like that mm-hmm. scene in Deadpool where he shows up at the X-Mansion and the only two X-Men that are ever there are Colossus <laughs> and Negasonic. Negasonic. Yeah, Negasonic. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I on the one part I was like, oh man, I really kind of dig the story. I like the time period. I like the setting. I like the the secret orders and the magics and all of that kind of stuff. But then it was just like the Society of the United Mag Magicians. It was like, so are they trying to bring back magic or are they not trying to bring back magic? And are they really killing people or not killing people? And so it was just like, ah, I need a little bit more of these guys doing stuff before the anti Society of United Magicians showed up to do their thing. And then they're killing everyone. Right. And does the Sandman actually have real magic powers or does he not have right. real magic powers? And it's it just there's felt, a lot of that stuff that's not like explained. It was supposed it just felt like it was supposed to be part of like this much bigger thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. why I think that if this had been 12 issues, I think this would have been awesome. Mm -hmm. It would be a great it would be a great uh, HBO Max. I was going to say DC Universe. DC <laughs> Universe like does and doesn't exist. What's it called? Infinite? Who knows? Uh, it would be like a great television series. Oh, yeah. I mean, look and see what again, look and see what they did with Perry Mason. Look and see what they're doing with Lovecraft Country and then apply that to the shadow. I don't know who owns. I mean, uh, Dynamite is currently um, has access to the rights to do the comic books, but man, somebody snatch up the shadow for another live action adaptation. I know that the Alec Baldwin thing is probably hanging heavy on this movie all these decades yeah. later, but the movie wasn't bad for what it was at the time, especially when Batman was all the rage and they were trying to make the shadow the Batman movie, the, the 89 Batman movie. Uh, so it's, it's, or was it Batman Returns? I forget which one. This one came immediately after. Um, yeah, so I think, it, I, yeah, I think that it, it is, it's hindered by that movie. And I think that there is a lot of cool stuff that you can tell with the shadow. This would be a very interesting story to, to take and adapt into something bigger. I mean, this has globe trotting. I mean, the, the Lamont Cranston is all over the globe finding information. That's really cool, right? It's not just set in New York or it's not just set in you know, Philadelphia, it's set all over the world, Los Angeles, New York, London, Egypt, uh, Paris, France, you know, all these, all these places. Um, and it's, and I thought that that was really kind of, I thought that was really kind of cool in that. Um, so I don't know, I, there's something about this that I, I think maybe it's the, the length that is really putting me off on this book, uh, is my yeah, biggest it complaint. Feels like it wraps up fast. Yeah, like, there's it a does, lot of yeah. talking at the end where it's like, well, fortunately, all of the bad guys died and none of the good guys did. Yeah. Yeah. And that question of uh, we have to keep real magic from coming back. What exactly is it that the Sandman is doing here again? You know, that that did bother me as well. I will say that some of the moments that worked for me were the ones that felt the most out of place, like when Margot kicked the bad guy in the junk. Yeah, I felt like that was like that was a great moment. And again, did it feel like 1936? I don't know, but I really enjoyed that. I like the fact that she kind of saved the shadows bacon. I like the moments that stood out. I really liked the you know the Lamont Cranston talking to Alistair Crowley bit. But again, it all just I don't know. You know, you say everybody has their concept of what the shadow should be. And I'm like, I like this story, like this story a lot. Does it feel like the shadow to me? No. Well, and I think part of that, again, it's when you're introduced to the shadow. Again, I was introduced yeah. to the shadow through the old time radio tapes that I got as a kid. And those weren't even complete things. So I was maybe had two or three episodes of the shadow that I listened to the entire time. So what were those shadow episodes that I heard? The shadow taking on some kind of mobster guy, right? Some kind of crook 
some, you know, nothing that was like big and mysterious and that kind of stuff. So every time that I would listen to the shadow, or every time I would think of the shadow, I'm always thinking, oh, it's the shadow who's this, you know, street level crime fighter taking on the hoods in the uh, of the of the uh, of the of the city, wherever that city may be. And that is my impression of the shadow. Him as a world traveler going to, you know, far off countries and lands and taking on magic and all that stuff never, never really crossed my mind. Uh, until years later when I was reading the pulps and and the the other comics and, and the movies and and so on. So, yeah, um, I like this combination. Don't get me wrong, but I think it really is kind of your first doctor is is your favorite doctor uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And and I think that may cause a lot of people to uh, have problems with this. Ashley, you, you enjoyed this this trade, right? I did enjoy it. I definitely think it has pacing issues, but I think as an introduction to the shadow, I don't think it's bad. Oh, no, no, and- no. Also, for me, just like hits a Venn diagram of a lot of weird stuff that mm-hmm. I'm into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 was I like, like that cool, too. This is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, this has all of those things, right? It has, I, I think, your and I's interest in the magic and the secret societies and all that stuff. I think there's a lot of overlap in our interests in those areas. I mean, uh, yeah, this is just like a less scary cult than the one I talked about in yeah, 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 yeah. my earlier review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what did you say right at the beginning when I was, uh, when I'd asked your question? You had said something a moment ago and it made me. Uh, made me think that Rodrigo is, is, I was going to ask him if that was what he thought as well. Um, oh, I said I thought it was a pretty good introduction. Oh, right, right. Um, but I thought it had pacing issues. Yeah, so I'm, I'm curious, Rodrigo, do you know everything you need to know about the shadow from this book? I mean, sort of. The, they don't really go into any of the shadow's deal. Really, the shadow just tells you either directly to you in a text box mm-hmm. or tell somebody else. It's like the shadow has um, agents. The shadow uses the persona of Lamont Cranston to sort of move around and spend money. The shadow uh, can cloud the minds of their people. The shadow like can hypnotize people. But most of these, you don't ever really see played out directly. I mean, you know, I think you kind of do. Obviously he... They don't explain anything. They're not like, yeah. ah, yes, the shadow who learned how to hypnotize people from hanging out with, you know, whoever. Um, you know why he's a good escapist because that's central to the plot. Um, but you don't necessarily know where the shadow gets all his powers and abilities and and money or you know why. Um, that that it, is... they just kind of happen as they happen. That is kind of fascinating because. Um, in a story about magic, at no point does Lamont Cranston ever reveal that, yes, I went to Tibet and studied under the great masters to learn how to read men's minds and do all these kinds of things that are somewhat magic-y. And so that is kind of interesting there. But, you know, he does when he's trying to, uh, he tries to cloud the minds of the uh, the creepy ape creatures. And he's like, yes, I can cloud men's minds, but I've never tried it on animals. Let me try it here. And then he punches out an ape. Uh, so there, I think that it kind of does, I think it does kind of give you a pretty good overview of what the shadow is and what his powers are uh, without getting into a lot of the backstory. As Matthew and I were kind of joking a, a minute ago where Matthew was like, well, uh, Lamont Cranston is the mask kind of thing. Well, yeah, it literally is a mask because he's not Lamont Cranston. He's, you know, someone else completely different than Lamont. And Lamont is another ruse that he's playing on people. Um, so I find that, you know, fascinating. But it, it, I don't think that you have to get into all of that in this book. So yeah, maybe I, hmm. 
I think that this does have all the bits that you need to know to kind of understand who the shadow is. Uh, I think the areas that need to be expanded on, of course, is who is the Sandman? Um, you know, does he really have a network of operatives and where are they at throughout this entire thing? Um, maybe showing a little bit more. I mean, he they do talk about his wealth when he's trying to add a wing to, you know, some school in, in London and he's, you know, at the Gentleman's Club, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know, Matthew. What do you think? Does this give you everything you need to know about the shadow, do you think? I think it gives you enough. Um, I, I agree with Ashley. I feel like if this was your introduction to the shadow, you'd have the basics of it down mm -hmm. and you'd have an idea of where the character fits in the, you know, that, uh, yeah, he does have weird pseudoscionic powers, but he's not flat out magic. And he regrets having to kill the monkey, even though he snaps a man's neck two pages later. <laughs> well, come on. I mean, you know, you can, you can be a little well, bit more harsh with man. And, it's yes. not an innocent man. Exactly. I mean, that's, uh, he can't that see he can't see what evil lurks in the hearts of monkeys. He sees what evil lurks in the hearts <laughs> of man. Or apes, right. let's be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the well, monkeys I can't remember. pants, you can see what they had for breakfast. But here's the here's I the can't big... remember when the Stokes <laughs> monkey trial was going on. Exactly. When you walk away from these six or five and a half, whatever it is, issues, I feel like you'll have a pretty good grasp on the shadow. I feel like you'll have the bits and pieces down. And even though I say that it doesn't feel like a classic shadow story to me, it's a good story. And I feel like you'll be entertained mm -hmm. and you'll be like, Oh yeah, that shadow guy. I liked his hat. Yeah. 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 Uh, the art on this, I always have a little bit of a problem with dynamite art because they tend to have a, a house style on a lot of the things that they do. And this is definitely one of those where the shadows are heavily, heavily inked. And I don't mean the shadow, but the shadows uh, to help define that's the, really the page. Funny. I'm sorry. That's yes. very, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's really heavily inked. So you, it, and that's just a style that kind of, sometimes it works for me, but in this case, it really kind of didn't. Everything was a little bit too contrasty for me. And I wanted something a little softer from the art, but otherwise there's a lot of uh, dynamic panels, right? Rodrigo, that's what you were talking about earlier with uh, the Orville. Yep. That's right. Um, it is, it's a very well-blocked comic. Mm -hmm. um, even when characters are just talking, you are looking at stuff in the background, you're looking at them, you're looking at what they're doing. You know, there's sharp angles to show action or just sharp angles to show power or, you know, who's in, who's in control of the scene at the time. Right. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very cinematic comic. So what's your, what is your final thought there, Rodrigo, on this book? Um, I liked it okay. I think if you've read other Shadow stuff, I think you might enjoy this. Um, I feel like, aside from being a detective story, this doesn't really sell the Shadow to me. It's like, what's interesting about the Shadow is like, we almost don't spend any time on that. You know, it's like, he's a mysterious man with no past and no personality or whatever. I don't know. Um, oh. it, we get more of this like mysterious cult and, and what it all might mean, but we get very little about the shadow. So I would say if you already like the shadow and already know what the shadow's about, definitely pick it up. Otherwise, I mean, it's okay. Yeah. For me, this really hit a lot of, a lot of the things that I like in a pulp tale. And so I really, really like this. I think that you, for 19 bucks uh, and probably cheaper if you use the Amazon link, uh, over at Majorspoilers.com, probably cheaper. I think it's like $14, something there if you want a physical copy. Um, I, I think that you can, I think you'll be okay purchasing this. I think you'll enjoy the story for what it is. Is this rush right out in a buying frenzy and grab it? No. Is this definitely check it out from the library? Oh, heck yes. But I think if you bought it, I think you'd be okay with this. Matthew, what about you? 
Um, you know, you said something that reminded me of what I believe may be my biggest problem with this story. You said that there's kind of a dynamite house style. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about how, you know, the first dynamite comic I really loved was the Green Hornet. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking about how would this story work as a Green Hornet book? And the answer in my head is pretty well and almost the same. Well, except for the end where he doesn't climb into bed with uh, Kato. No, he climbs into I, bed I mean, with... too bad, really. <laughs> he climbs into bed with Lenore, his secretary. These things happen. But here's the thing. With that in mind, it's a good story. It's a, it's a comic book story. It has a good, solid through line. It's got a lot of really neat real-world stuff. It's a book that I would be like, yeah, I like this comic. So, yes, I would say agree... Check it out from the library. See how you feel about it. And if you're into the shadow, maybe go check out some other shadow stories and see what other crazy, wacky stuff he's up to. I'm kind of interested to see if Cullen Bunn did any more shadow stuff, because I, I would actually like to go read that. Um, Ashley, what are your final thoughts on The Shadow? The Last Illusion. I think The Last Illusion definitely gets a lot of cool points. And I think that for some people, that might make up for what it is lacking in, in structure points or in pacing points and that's okay not everything has to be absolute perfection i think this is a really great volume to pick up if you're looking for something dark and spooky and moody and evocative uh, because it's almost october and like myself you are feeling some kind of way and you just want it to be halloween and what a gift that no one's going to be knocking on my door this year i know right uh, i liked it if you like other Colin Bunn stuff, including all of the books by him that we scream about frequently and often on this pod, I think you'll get a lot out of that as well. So I would say if you are interested in The Shadow or into it, it's definitely worth your time. But yeah, mileage on it may vary. So maybe try picking it up digitally, getting it from the library, uh, or taking it from a friend of yours who already owns it and never giving it back. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I will say Don't I've, steal I've from read your a, friends. I've read a lot of Shadow stuff, and I have read some stuff that's really good, and I've read some stuff that's that's really bad. This one definitely falls into the into the good category. So there you yeah. go. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. That wraps it up for this issue. Thank you, dear listener, for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. We love your feedback, so use the comments section at Major Spoilers to so show what evil lurks in your own heart and your thoughts and reactions to this episode. <laughs> or even better, you could email the evil of your own heart to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Majorspoilers. And we will be back next week to do more comics. Next week is going to be really interesting because we're reading a European comic, Death on the Nile, the adaptation of the Agatha, Agatha Christie. Uh, uh, oh, wait, wasn't there supposed to be a Death on the Nile movie? Come, ah, dang it. Yeah. 2020 ah. just continues to screw up my schedule, but we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you next week. Fat the X-ray vision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler 
think about a better way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I mean terrific this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. If I'm Stark Raven, it's like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the hard cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun, be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler